Lord, thank you for Ash. Thank you for the things that you are making tangible in this church. Thank you for the fact that you love children. And it's so clear when we read through the Gospels that you had this specific and this very particular love for uh, kids. And we do too, Lord. And we want to uh, train them up, Lord, with uh, gospel truth. So, Lord, I pray that you would equip and strengthen uh, Ash with the task that she's been given to do that. And may we uh, rally around her and serve and support her in this mission. Lord, I pray for uh, us this morning. I pray for soft hearts. I pray as we dive into uh, your word, that you would open it up to us, that you would open it up and, and clear it up in our hearts and our minds so that we see you as being greater and more glorious than all of these other things in our life that are sometimes just tearing at us. And uh, so, Lord, we pray for just a renewed sense of the glory that we have in Jesus Christ. The words we just sang about nothing in all the earth not being able to separate us. About the name of Jesus being the name above all names. Lord, I pray that you would reorient our hearts around that this morning, we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. All right, we'll go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Luke 10, 38. This is week 11 in our The God Who Redeems series, Stories of God, Restoring His People for His Glory. And uh, this morning we're going to see how the Lord restores a woman's identity. We've been kind of doing these larger-than-life stories up to this point. We've been seeing stories of Joseph and, and Gideon and David, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these just massive, bombastic stories where we see God come in. It's just like a flash of lightning. Everything changes, and we see the hand of God working as he is the primary hero of the stories, and all the glory gets refocused back uh, to him. And uh, this morning, it's going to feel a bit more quaint. It's, it's going to like be like bringing it down to tea time at Downton Abbey a little bit for us. And this is really the story of two friends of Jesus who had very different experiences with him when he drops by uh, their house one day. So let's just dive uh, right into it. Luke 10, picking up in verse 38, and it says this. Now, as they went on their way, this is Jesus and his disciples. Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. One of the biggest challenges as we continue to grow together and be established as a church is the danger of substituting religion over the gospel. And here's what I mean by danger. Um, if I come to you every week and I just preach a sermon and by the end of it, you feel super pumped because what I've given you is a religious grocery list of things to get out there and get done for God. It means that there's something missing with what I'm communicating because that is not the message of the gospel. All right. And the reason why I say super pumped is because we love religious grocery lists. We're just drawn to those things. We love doing rather than being. We love compiling lists over listening to Christ. 
And the tension here with this, as we dive into the story, is that those of us with faith in Christ, man, we're called to exercise our faith by doing good works in response to the work that Jesus has and is doing in our hearts. We just heard Scott Long tell us that from Romans 5. So the tension comes in in making sure we're clear on that distinction. Our first call from Christ is to love him, to come into his presence, to abide with him. We sang about that. To commune with him. To see him as the most beautiful, glorious, majestic, and marvelous treasure that our hearts could ever contain. Christianity is union with Christ. So God redeems us by releasing us from the bondage that says to serve him is how we earn him. And some of you come here every week because you want to appease God rather than live a life that pleases God by being satisfied in his pleasure. And the two things are very, very different. So some of you guys know, uh, you guys have met my daughter, Beth. Uh, She moved to Denver last August. All right. I drove her out there. It was a crazy trip. Uh, The weirdest thing in the world would be right now. Currently in our scenario, I'm here, she's in Denver. The weirdest thing in the world would be if I flew out to see her and the minute I walked through the door, she just started maniacally like cleaning the kitchen and making a mountain of food, vacuuming the house, scrubbing the floors and just leaving me like sitting on her couch with my ex kitty cat. And by the way, that is like, like that, the cat she has right now is my ex kitty cat, Right. I'm wondering when that guy's coming home, but it doesn't look like it's happening anytime soon. Would you think, if you sort of had a, had a bird's eye view of that scenario, would you think there might be some issues in our relationship that needed to be worked out? If I walked in there and that's what was going on? I mean, all I want, all I want is for her to sit down, talk, laugh at some ridiculous things with me and hang out. I mean, that's what I want. I don't need her to do anything. I just need her to be who she is. She's my daughter. That's what I need her to be. I need her to experience our relationship. And that's just a little bit of a picture of what we're seeing going on right now between Mary and Martha, two sisters. So Martha, what we just read, welcomes Jesus into the house. And then we see Mary, her sister, she kind of pulls a beanbag up at the Lord's feet and starts listening to him teach. Now remember just who entered the house, right? This is not a buddy This is not a brother. This is not a boyfriend crashing the party. This is Jesus who's become, by the way, at this point in his ministry, he's become one of the most polarizing figures in the country because he says ridiculous things. He makes outrageous claims. He claims that he's God. All right. And then he also backs up those claims by healing the sick. And he speaks a lot. And he speaks a lot in parables. And he literally just goes around slamming and subtweeting the religious leaders of the day. He's going after everybody who is taking the gospel and falsifying it. So when Jesus comes through the door, man, Mary doesn't miss the opportunity to listen to what he has to say. I mean, picture God in the flesh on your couch, right? I mean, what would you do? What would you do if God in the flesh was sitting on your couch? And before you confidently affirm that you do what Mary does, look at what happens to her sister Martha in verse 40. Let me read that again. But Martha was distracted with much serving. 
And she went up to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. So what we got to remember is that this was a ferociously hospitable culture. It's not like today when someone comes to our house and we point at the fridge and say, help yourself, pal, whatever you want. It's all yours. Just get in there because I ain't getting up. Right? It's a little bit different than how we roll with it today. So what happens is Martha here disappears into the kitchen and just starts freaking out. Because the expectation she placed on herself was to be like Rachel Ray. Right? It kind of reminds me of my Italian grandma. Right? I mean, if you would have known her back in the day, she lived in a double wide trailer. It was nice. And uh, the minute we would walk, me and my brother and sister, the minute we would walk into the door of our house, man, it was like her kitchen turned into chopped from the food channel. I mean, you would have thought, right? I mean, she just, hey, just gets in the kitchen, starts scrambling around. It's like we were a panel of judges sitting there timing her to see how long it took for her to make as much delicious food as she could humanly do in 20 minutes, right? That, that's what was happening, right? I mean, it was like, hey, Grams, it was on, and you just disappears in the kitchen. Clock's, clock's ticking, Grams, get on the ball. You know what I mean? I mean, that's not what we were doing. We just came to see Grams. But it was as if we were saying like, hey, we're here and it's time for you to get busy. I mean, those raviolis are not going to make themselves, right? I mean, that's what it was like for Grams. And I I think that's how she saw, you know, her worth to us. Is that what she was good for was to provide something for us and to serve us. And, you know, what's funny is that we all kind of think that's admirable, don't we? Like we all kind of think, well, man, she's just loving on her grandkids. And that's, that's what grandmas do, right? Some of you are even doing kind of the, ah, oh, thinking about grams inside, thinking about my Italian grandma, bustling around the kitchen, doing slave labor for her grandkids. I mean, we, like, we automatically think that there's something great about that. And there is. But what I really wanted from grams wasn't more Chef Boy RD. I just wanted to hang with grams, you know. But she was serving instead. And what we see here with Martha is not necessarily that she's serving, that she's merely serving. It says that she's distracted with much serving. Well, Mary takes a seat at the feet of Jesus, and Mary doesn't do jack. Mary's not doing anything. I mean, there's no compulsion at all for Mary to get out the crock pot and stop, start chopping veggies with Martha. I mean, there's no, there's no compulsion at all when we read the passage. And we don't want to miss what's going on here Because Mary certainly wasn't oblivious to Martha running around the house, was she? Nor would she have thought it wasn't her job to serve Jesus. Nor does it say that she had no intention of eventually serving Jesus. What it says is that she sat and listened because Jesus was what? He was speaking. He was teaching. And here's what's difficult when we start talking about serving. Here's what's difficult about it. I mean, ain't none of y'all going to receive criticism for serving. You're not. Elders are probably not going to practice church discipline on you because you're serving too much, right? That'd be like saying the main problem you have with your kids is that they just help too much around the house, right? It's just not going to happen. And I mean, you're simultaneously laughing and crying right now because it's true. I mean, the bottom line is that pastors and parents I mean, man, they pull their hair out because they can't get people and kids to commit to serving at all. You guys don't have to get quiet, man. That wasn't a backhanded way of saying you're not serving. And you guys just heard Ashley Powell, man. She already said you weren't, right? And we're not, we're not real subtle around here. We like to keep it open here at the church, right? But look at how Martha responds in verse 40. 
Look at what her serving was driving her to. She accuses Jesus of not caring about her. And then she casts judgment on her sister. I mean, there was something wrong. It really wasn't about who she was serving anymore because her serving had actually become the star of the show. Then verse 41, it says this. But the Lord answered her and he says this, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and you're troubled about many things. So Jesus says, says her name twice. He says, Martha, Martha, whenever you hear God or Jesus repeat a name in the Bible, it usually indicates that there's something critical going on, like there's something important that's being communicated. We go back to Genesis when God came to Abraham and he said his name twice. He said, Abraham, Abraham, because he was preventing him from sacrificing his son, Isaac. In Luke 22, we hear Jesus saying, Simon, Simon, when he's calling out to Peter to tell him he was praying that his faith would not fall because Satan was after him. He was calling him. Remember when Jesus comes after Saul, the apostle Saul in Acts, and he says, Saul, Saul, to ask, why are you persecuting me? Like this is something that's happening that needs to stop and I'm calling on you. And then remember in Matthew 23, when Jesus looks out over Jerusalem, and he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, because he's lamenting over Jerusalem's unbelief. So Jesus comes to Martha, and there's a tenderness there, but he's also calling on her. And what's interesting is that he never corrects Martha because she's serving. The question was, and the question that Jesus was driving at was, what was stirring inside her serving heart? Because the tricky thing about serving is that it can easily become self-serving, right? And whatever becomes self-serving in our lives, it can only lead to one place. It leads to enslavement. And the byproduct of all self-serving that all of you will experience, including myself, is anxiety and troubledness and distractedness. Martha was over-serving because that's where she looked to be affirmed. She was serving out of fear. She forgot, actually, who she was serving. A king who loved her securely, generously, and without reservation. When you start seeing it in that light, it becomes a little sad when you think of all the scurrying around that Martha was doing. In verse 42, Jesus says this, but one thing is necessary, Martha. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. And this is where Jesus connects the dots. Because there are so many things, brothers and sisters. There are so many things. We live in a world of so many things. And all of you, even right now, have a mountain of so many things that are pulling at the strings of your heart, demanding your time, dividing your attention, distracting your mind. That's happening right now in this room. Jesus is saying to Martha, you chose many things. You're choosing many things. Mary chose me. And all these other things distracting you and causing anxiety will be things that will someday be taken away from you. But I will never be taken away. I will never leave or forsake those who choose me for their portion. Now, let me qualify. 
As exciting as it might seem to some of you, this passage is in no way saying that serving is not necessary. Right? Well, Ronnie, I don't want to be like Martha, so I've decided after this to just sit in the front row and only listen to your sermons from now on. Dude. No. And I'm not Jesus. Jesus wanted Martha's heart, not only her hospitality. I mean, serving has a necessary place, but it's never more necessary than coming into God's presence and abiding with him. So here's the main point that I want to drive at today. Usually I have three. You guys can all raise your hand and be thankful. I have one point, one point today, and it comes in the form of a question. And it's this. Is Jesus more glorious to you than everything else? Like I tried to frame that question like 20 different ways and I just, I had to keep coming back to the most simple, straightforward way to say it. I tried to be clever a little bit. I'm just, you know, I didn't have anything. Is Jesus more glorious to you than all else? Because what Jesus is talking about here is a particular portion that is available to us. And it's something that when we have it and when we go after it and when we choose it, it's ours and it doesn't get swiped away. He gives us a sequence for the Christian life. When Jesus enters the heart of a person's life, they get to be still before him and they get to serve him. But we need to get the order and the sequence right. I mean, think of how thrilling it would have been for Martha to serve Jesus after she had sat at his feet. I mean, what would that have been like? You know, I was talking to Zach a couple days ago and we were talking about uh, just kind of a scenario in our lives. And I said, hey, what if I told you that Jesus would be at your house every morning at 6 a.m. to eat with you, to talk with you, to assure you of his love, to listen to your fears and your sadnesses and to answer the questions that you have about him? I mean, do you think you'd be on time for that? I mean, do you think you'd anticipate that? I mean, do you think you'd remember to spring forward into that? I mean, can you, I mean, I don't know if I'd be able to sleep the night before. I'd be like sleep deprived after two weeks. I mean, do you think we would go after that? Do you think it might have an effect on the rest of your day? Do you think it might have an effect on the rest of your week, the rest of your life? Because we have God's word, that portion that Jesus is talking about, it's available to you, just like the sun. Remember the sun? You don't remember it today, but you remember it yesterday because it was glorious. Just like the sun that was available to you yesterday when you woke up. Did you choose to stay holed up in your house? You could have. Because even in your house, you saw the rays of light from the sun, right? But if you didn't leave the house, man, you would have never felt the warmth of those rays of light. Jesus doesn't want you to just have an awareness that he's hanging out somewhere in the other room. He wants you to come face to face with him and receive the glory and the splendor that he is. I mean, you can't really explain a song to a person because without the melody, man, they're not really going to grasp it, are they? This is the portion of Jesus that's available because the death of Jesus gives us access. It opened the door to our heart for Jesus to 
enter in so that we could sit at the feet of his word. We could know him. I mean, Jesus is not just an acquaintance for those who have been saved by his grace. He's somebody that we can know intimately. And here are three dangers, so I did get around to three. I lied to you earlier. Here's three dangers in that, and this is what we tend to default to, all right? So when we kind of come face-to-face with these kinds of movements, we typically default to certain things in our life. The first one is that many times we think serving equals relationship. We think I'm serving, so I I must have this relationship with Christ now that is progressing and growing and moving. And that is true, but it's not just our serving that equals our relationship. It's like if you've ever worked at a restaurant, you don't consider the people you serve your friends, do you? I mean, just because you're refilling people's drinks doesn't mean you have an intimate knowledge of each other's life. You're serving them, but it doesn't mean that you have a relationship with them. So that's a danger is by just going after things, serving at the church, serving others. We think that that somehow replaces or is equal to a relationship with God. The second one is sometimes we think serving earns relationship. And what do we see here with Martha? And Martha was just confusing the invitation. Jesus coming into Martha's house was the opportunity to be with Jesus, not be his barista. She missed that. I mean, what would happen if every house, if every church, and this is an impossibility, but what would happen if every house was filled with Martha's? Martha was given an invitation. She was given a call to communion. And let me ask you this. Who was more equipped to serve Jesus after Jesus had left the house that day? Martha or Mary? Proverbs 8 says this. Blessed is the one who listens to me watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself because all who hate me love death. I mean, dude, that's an insane line that I just said there at the end. He who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. So when I'm not listening to the Lord, I become distracted. I become anxiety-ridden because the people in my life have become the gods I fear who I want to love and affirm me. That's what was going on with Martha. She ended up serving out of guilt and fear. So sometimes we think serving equals relationship. Sometimes we think serving earns relationship. And what happens then, number three, is that we serve out of guilt and fear. I don't have to go after you guys. I can just talk about myself in this for a little while. Because it's my fear that turns me into Martha. You guys want to know about that about me? Do you want to know about my fears? Because I'm, I'm afraid. Like when I read this story, I go to Martha and I go, nailed it. That's it. That's me. I'm afraid. I'm afraid that some of you might be angry with me. So I up the serving. I'm afraid that some of you are dissatisfied at the direction of this church. So I just try to work a little harder. Try to pad it a little bit. I'm afraid that some of you will leave when we make changes because it makes you uncomfortable. That tends to keep me up a little bit some nights. 
All right? I'm afraid some of you think I don't love you. So sometimes I exhaust myself in trying to serve a need that I have no power of meeting. Because I'm afraid. Because I'm not resting in the love that Christ has for you. This was Martha. Martha overserved because she needed to be affirmed. She overserved. She was saying, Affirm me for what I'm doing. And some of us have the opposite problem. Some of us underserve. When we overserve, we're saying, I need that affirmation. Affirm me. Some of us underserve. And by underserving, we're saying, spoon feed me. Just give it to me. Just give me everything you have. I want to receive it. I'm a consumer. The fact that we can choose the good portion means there's a bad portion that we can equally choose and go after, right? I mean, look, the bottom line is after the service, you will get a chance to walk out into the cafe and choose donuts or fruit. All right? Obviously, I'm choosing the former. So it's a bad analogy. Like all analogies, they all break down horribly. But there's a choice there to go after something that is going to create health in your soul as opposed to something that's going to cause you to go have to go see Zach because he's a diabetes doctor. So how do we do this? How do we do this? How do we look at this story? How do we see the movements of Mary? How do we process what was happening with Martha? How do we sit at Jesus' feet and listen to him? How do we do that? Because Jesus is not coming in the flesh. He's not availing himself to us physically. He's not going to be knocking on your door today. You're not going to open up. Oh, hey, Jesus, come on in. I got a place for you. Let me get in there and, and not cook too much and overserve, but so that I can sit at your feet and like listen to what you have to say. It's not going to happen. How do we do this now? How do we do this now? How do we choose the good portion? How does God speak to us? That's the question. Does he visit us in the night? Does he give us mysterious signs? Does he have secret codes for us? He doesn't actually. He doesn't. He speaks to us through the words he's already spoken. Everything Jesus wants you to know about him is found right here. It's found in here. This is how you sit at Jesus' feet. This is how you find out who God is. This is how you find out what God wants. This is how you find out why God does what he does. And how much he cares and loves those whose heart he has entered. The same way he entered the house of Mary and Martha. This is how we have God. This is how we have him. This is how we portion him to ourselves. Because if you don't read this book... You will make things up about God. Some of you guys have some crazy notions about the way God works. And it's because this book is not being opened. You will assume things about God that aren't true. Like Martha did. Because what Martha assumed was that she was pleasing Jesus by doing for him rather than being with him like Mary. We need to read what he actually says. Because being still before God equips us then to give glad-hearted service back 
to him. Meaning, when Jesus becomes our everything, man, we can, we can give our everything to him. Because in a world of choices, there's only one portion that will remain with you through eternity. Let me just ask this. How, how sobering does that truth descend on you this morning? In a world of choices, there's only one portion that will remain with you through eternity. What does that do to you when you contemplate and you meditate on that? You mean all these things I've given my life to will vanish someday? Is that really what you're saying, Ronnie? Yeah, it it is. Think about everything in your life. Everything. None of it will remain. You tell me one thing in your possession right now that will still be there in the end. One thing. That college education you're paying student loans on? That car you make monthly payments on? That house you'll probably still not have paid off in 30 years? Those investments? Those worries that leave you awake and sick with sleep deprivation? Those fears, those conflicts, those angers, those disillusions because you're not getting what you want? All of it will be gone. It will have been time spent on dated old-fashioned, archaic, broken-down, barely-running, used-up pursuits. If that is how you think you are best serving and pleasing God. All the money in your pockets, your bank account, your 401k, all of it is a portion of your life that will be forever separated from you. Except for one He doesn't give us a lot of options in the passage. He said one thing, one beautiful, lasting, glorious, timeless, eternal thing. Jesus Christ, who will not be taken away because nothing can take us away from Christ. What did we just sing? Nothing in all the earth can separate us from his everlasting love. Because at the end of the day, all we really have, the portion that we really have, if we define portion as something that cannot escape our grasp or be taken away from us, is Christ. All we have is Christ. Jesus, speaking to his disciples in Matthew 13, said this, For to the one who has more, for to the one who has, more will be given, he said. And he will have an abundance. But then he said this crazy thing. He said, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So when all we have is Christ, we get more of Christ. Meaning every time we pursue him and choose him and go after him, we get an increasing abundance of it. Tim Keller said, you don't realize Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. I mean, can we believe that now? Can we sit at his feet and let his glory be the portion that lets all of the other lights in our life become dim by comparison? Let me end with this. 
of the psalmist in Psalm 16 said, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. He says, You hold my lot. And then he says, The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. So in Christ, we get that beautiful inheritance because everything he is and everything he gives us and everything he becomes in our life is unfading and it's imperishable. That gives us hope. And it gives us the joy to pursue those other things without those other things becoming what is pursuing us and enslaving us and capturing our heart and turning us into the very thing that Christ has saved us from. All we have is Christ. Do we believe that? It's true. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you have given us everything there is to have in Christ. Lord, thank you for the sobering truth this morning as we consider the things that we pursue and the areas that we invest so heavily in, the ways that we have become like Martha and we find ourselves troubled and distracted and anxious. Lord, I pray that we could be like Mary. I pray that we could take the time to develop a lifestyle that patterns ourselves after sitting at your feet, reading your word, listening to the words that you have spoken in your word, words of life, words of truth, words of comfort, words of correction, the words that we need to hear so that we can become more like you, so that we can know what joy is, so we can know what happiness is, so that we can know what gladness is. Lord, I pray that you would search us this morning Reveal these things in our lives that have gone down these roads that Martha went down. I pray that you would make yourself so clear to us and so glorious to us. Lord, be our treasure this morning and humble us in that and give us such an abundant and overflowing fountain of joy because of everything you are and everything you've done and everything you continue to do we pray. And all God's people said, amen and amen.